Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good evening. So if we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Interberg. I'm the other pastor here. And as we begin tonight, I've got a question. What happens when you skip leg day in a workout routine? The answer is you become this guy that I have on the screen. I think I got a picture for you. You can't skip leg day. It's important to have a well-rounded workout routine so that you don't leave some parts of your body behind, right? You can get totally out of balance or you can certainly plateau and not continue to improve strength and not, you know, get better. And the same is true for us if we want to get unstuck and we want to remain unstuck in our lives, in any part of our lives. And that's what this whole sermon series has been about, that we've been calling Unstuck. It's about looking at the patterns of behavior, of thinking, of relational interactions, even our approaches to God, where we get stuck. And one of the premises behind this series is we've been looking how how part of why we get unstuck is that there is often a disconnect between our emotionality and our spirituality. There's a disconnect from our emotional processes and those outward spiritual activities that we live into. And so part of this series and this season has been striving to reintegrate these two, to bring them back into connection, really to invite Jesus to go with us below the surface level activity to what's really going on at the core of our being. And maybe it's actually more accurate to say inviting Jesus or asking Jesus to give us the courage and the ability to go below the surface with him where he already is so that he can get us unstuck. So today is the last message in this series. And I hope along the way you've been challenged. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope that God has met you in perhaps new ways or profound and deep and impactful ways. And the reality is I understand this may have stirred some stuff up for you. That it may have brought some things up from your past or some things even from your present. And you may not even feel like you've had good resolution on any of it. I just want to acknowledge that that may be your experience. And you may be wondering, wait, we're coming to the end. Well, now what? What do I do with all of that? Do we just go back to the way things were before? Do I just go back to living my faith and doing the things that I was doing previously? Or is there a way we can build on to this? Is there a way that we can take a next step? Is it possible that as this has started to stir some stuff up, that we could get unstuck and stay, remain unstuck? And so this evening, we're going to try to bring it all together. But how does it happen? How do we remain unstuck? And the reality is, just like a good workout routine, we need intention and a plan. 
And so we're going to jump in to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you want, you can follow along on the screen as we listen for God's word speaking to us this evening. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God's word for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in these moments, we ask that you would send your spirit to move among us, to move within us, to open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and even more so, our will, our heart, our soul, that we can respond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. So this reading came out of the book of Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is really, it's really Moses' last message or series of messages to the people of God before they would enter into the promised land. And in the whole book of Deuteronomy, Moses is trying to remind the people of who God is, of what he's done for them, and all that he has taught them about how to live Live life the way God intended, designed, and purposed it to live. And so in chapter 5, just before what we read today, Moses has just finished recapping the Ten Commandments, right? The Big Ten. The core of what it means to live life according to God's design. And so right after laying out these Ten Commandments, he he says this. He says, Hear, O Israel... In other words, listen up, right? You've got all these laws. You've got these commandments. Now what are you supposed to do? Listen carefully. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one of the most important statements in the scripture. It's one of the most important statements of both the the Jewish and the Christian and even the Islamic faiths. Because this is the statement of monotheism. This is the clearest statement of there is only one God. That he is undivided, that he is consistent, that he is faithful, that he is unchanging. Now, the understanding of who God is obviously varies among those three world religions. 
But it comes back to this fundamental claim that God is one and he is undivided. There is no other God beside him. And as we have inherited the Christian faith and through Jesus have understood that he came as God in the flesh, we came to understand that God is in fact one, but he is one God in three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a core and foundational understanding of what Jesus opens up for us to understand God more clearly. But he is unchanging, undivided, Faithful, And so because he is one, we can trust him. He's of one mind. He's not divided on things. He's, he's one in that he's consistent. He will show up and be the same over and over and over again. And so we can trust his promises. We can trust his faithfulness. We can trust his goodness because he is one. Now, in the Hebrew that this comes from, it actually could be interpreted two ways. The first way that I just told you, the Lord is one, but it also could mean the Lord is the Lord alone. And they're similar, right? that there's no other God. This is the one God. But to say the Lord is the Lord alone is more a statement of allegiance than it is a statement of fact. Right? They were saying, this is our Lord, our only Lord. But there's a whole lot of other possible gods and lords that we could bow our knee to and give allegiance to. But this is our Lord. This one God is our Lord. I think both are equally as valid. And really, interpreters throughout the centuries have also understood it that way. That this is a statement of profound objective fact and intense subjective reality. Objectively, God is one. Subjectively, he is our only Lord. The one that we can trust. The one that gives life meaning and hope and joy. The one in whom there is security and there is salvation. This Lord alone. And to, to this Lord, Moses commands the people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, I mean, this is a pretty broad claim, isn't it? And I think it's broad on purpose. It's holistic. It's complete. It's every aspect of the human self, the human person. It's not just relegated to one particular part, which sometimes we are guilty of. God gets a part. He gets this weekend, or he gets this part of my day, or he really gets just these particular activities, but work, that's kind of my thing. I just do that, so I go get a paycheck, or my vacations, that's just so I can recharge and I can be good. But this is saying everything, every aspect of life and who we are is to be used in that intentional effort to love the Lord our God. And so it's holistic in that it's our whole person, but it's also complete. It's total. It's total devotion. It's the fullness of our loyalty. It's the fullness of our commitment. And over over the centuries, it's meant commitment to love the Lord even to the point of death, if that's what it took. But to never turn the back on God, 
to love the Lord completely and totally through our physical strength, our body, but also through our physical substance, our wealth, our property, our time. And so, of course, all of this invites us all to reflect intentionally on the whole picture of our life and ask ourselves, is that the way we're loving God? Does he have my whole being completely? Or are there parts that are still being held back? You know, is, do you realize and do we embrace the reality that your body and your bodily health and the stewardship of your body is part of how you love God? The way you utilize your time, your loyalties, your money, your emotions and emotional processes. That's a lot of what this series has been inviting us to consider is that you love God more completely when you actually engage him at those levels. Not just in like the, feel, the good feelings of happy, tingly, you know, I feel the presence of the spirit, those warm feelings. But in the fullness of our human emotions and emotionality. Even those parts and places as we've talked over these weeks that mm, seem a little ugly. And so as we consider, you know, are, are we holding back? And I think some of us are holding back parts or, or even completely. Some are just saying, you know, I'm not going to bow my knee to this God. I'm not going to love this God because I don't want to give up that control. Right? I like I like the way my life's going. I want to do it on my own terms. I know what makes me happy, and so I'm just going to do that. And so some are holding back because the reality is these other things in our lives have become God. And so we can't with integrity and honesty say that the Lord is one and he's the Lord alone in my life because you know what? Actually, my career is Lord in my life. My ability to get ahead or this relationship is Lord in my life. This is the thing that gives meaning to life. It makes it secure and worth living. And so it's God. And some hold back because, like I said a moment ago, some of, some of the parts of our life seem unlovely, unlovable, not worthy of being offered to God as an act of love. And so we hold it back because, well, it's not, it's not fitting of God. You know, it's kind of like if I asked some of us in the room to draw God a picture, Right? Like some in this room, it would be fantastic, great, some incredible artists. And then I would draw stick figures. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, is that worthy of God? Well, because that's all I've got artistically, I give it to God. But I think when we look at our lives, we hold back parts because we don't feel like it's worthy of an offering to God. Romans 12, Paul says this in in 12.1. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's saying your bodies, well, your bodies are where your spirit resides. It's where your mind lives. And so he's really making a pretty holistic claim to present your whole self as a, a spiritual act of worship. Well, are you a perfect and unblemished sacrifice? Oh, sorry if that burst your bubble. And I'm not either. I'm a broken sacrifice, as we sang about a minute ago. 
I'm an imperfect and unlovely sacrifice. And yet this is the sacrifice that I can make. All I can do is offer myself in my sinfulness back to God and then in faith trust that what Jesus has done for me allows my sacrifice to be acceptable to God. Right, that when God looks at our offering, even the unlovely parts of ourselves, those emotions that don't seem very pretty, God doesn't look at us and say, wow, I wish you wouldn't bring that. That's ugly. He looks at, and when you've put your faith in Jesus and you said, you know what, it's not my loveliness, but it's Jesus's loveliness that brings me into the presence of God. God sees the loveliness of Jesus. And so he sees the masterpiece of art, not the stick figures. He sees the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus, not our ugliness. And so we're invited to not hold back any of it. And that's part of what this series has been about, right? Is, is to get honest about what's going on inside of us, to stop playing and stop hiding it and stop putting masks on so that we pretend that we're someone that we're not, but to get really true, to realize that sometimes we're living in the midst of doubt and fear, and that doesn't disqualify you from a relationship with God. The invitation is to get unstuck by inviting Jesus into the doubt with you. The questions that you can't seem to get rid of. To invite him into the fear. To invite him into the grief and the hurt that you've been carrying for years, maybe. To invite him into those places of darkness where you're not even sure he's with you. It's, it's to invite all of it. Your whole self. And to realize that when you offer yourself, that's an act of love. But this, this is hard, isn't it? And some of the, over these weeks, we've been, maybe you've been trying some of the practices. Maybe you've been trying to, to do Sabbath more intentionally. Maybe you've been embracing the intentionality of times throughout the day to reconnect with God, to open yourself to him. Maybe you've embraced other practices of journaling and being, you know, getting real about your, what you're feeling. Maybe you've embraced a practice of simply being with people and starting to talk about this stuff that you've never talked about before. And that's all good and that's all part of what this journey has been about is to help us get unstuck, start moving a little bit. But how do we keep moving? Peter Scazzaro, who has written the book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that we've been reading along with this series, or at least some of us has, he offers in his last chapter, he suggests that every person needs a rule of life. And this is a term that comes from church history. It comes out of the third, somewhere third, maybe through fifth century, when men and women were actually going out into the desert and forming communities so that they could get away from the distractions that kept pulling them away from God. And so they were trying to create an environment where they could really love the Lord with their whole being. And so as they did, they were striving to stay focused on that as the primary thing. And so they started to, some of them, organized their daily community life around this plan. That's what the rule of life is. It's a plan. It's a plan for how would the rhythms of work happen in this community? How would the rhythms of prayer happen in this community? How would the rhythms of scripture reading 
And there were other aspects depending on the rule. How would serving happen? How would we care for one another? But it was all about a plan to love God completely. And they needed a plan because they were aware that their life, apart from getting away into this desert with a plan, was full of distractions. Does that sound familiar? See, I'm confident that after this series and this season, without a plan and an intentionality, we're just going to kind of go back to the way we were. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be back where I was. Because if where we were was stuck, I don't want to be stuck anymore. Right? And part of this movement forward is an invitation to something greater and something beautiful. Now, I want to acknowledge that some, when you hear the word rule, rule of life, some of you are like, woohoo, this is the best, because there are some rule followers in the room, right? And you love rules, and you think everyone else should love, and actually, you probably most of the time think they do, and you're surprised to find that they don't, because you love rules so much, that you love the number of forks that have to be set at the dinner table, and you love the order in which they should be used during the meal. You know, you love rules like no texts or calls before 8 a.m. or after 8 p.m., whatever it is, we love rules, and here's, here's the thing, the warning when thinking about a rule of life is if you love rules, be careful because you could miss the entire point. Because you could miss the entire point of making this intentional plan. Because this intentional plan is not about creating a list, checking off all of the boxes so that you could have a feeling of accomplishment. But man, it does feel good to get through a to-do list, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? But that's not the point. The point is about this relationship with God, about loving him with your whole self, holding nothing back, right? And, and when we get the, this out of alignment, right, when we're not careful about how we approach the plan and the rules, the plan and the rules can actually lead you away from God rather than toward him. Because the plan can give you a structure to hide behind. Right? The plan can give you a structure that allows you to not be vulnerable any longer because your plan could include things that keep you in a safe space, that keep you in your head, keep you in those outward practices, keep you in some of the same things you were doing even before you went on this unstuck journey. It can create a safe space behind which you can hide and no longer be vulnerable. Or you can make a plan that integrates vulnerability that calls something out of yourself, that includes practices that are reflective on what is happening in your emotional processes. Maybe it's journaling. It can include people in your life that maybe you've grown closer with over these weeks that you can continue to share at a depth that perhaps has made you feel uncomfortable over these weeks. That's the right depth. Right? Because these rules could be the safe space to hide behind, or they could just reinforce a mask of religiosity and self-righteousness. Because if we have a rule, have a plan, we accomplish the plan, we can start to feel pretty good about ourselves. And in the process, just slip that mask of, hey, look at me, I'm great. 
And then we'll feel all this pressure when we start unfolding, unraveling. And I don't know about you, but most of the plans in my life where I've tried to be intentional for seasons, I've gotten started really fast, but then I stumble and fall along the way, right? This is the problem with New Year's resolutions every year. And once they get broken, a lot of us are like, forget it, it's worthless, I'm gonna fail again, so why try? The same can happen with making a plan to intentionally love God well. Once we get off the rails, because you will get off the rails, you may just want to quit because it doesn't make you feel good about yourself anymore if it was about the rules. Well, if it's not about the rules and it's about loving God and it's about being closer to him to experience his love for you and express your love for him, then maybe it's a bit more like being separated from a dear friend for a period of time. Maybe it's a day and man, you, your best friend, you're like, oh, man, I just want to hang out with my best friend. Maybe it's weeks and weeks that turn into months. And instead of ignoring the longing, get back into the plan. Use it as the opportunity to love God and experience his love for you. Now, I want to acknowledge that there are also others who hear the term rule of life and you stopped listening five minutes ago because you're like rules. Rules are the worst thing ever. Rules squish all things that are good in life. There's no spontaneity. There is no fun. And so it sucks all joy out of everything. And you could feel like making a rule of life or a plan is just like a whole nother list of to-dos that you don't have any real desire to be a part of. Because frankly, your life is already really busy. And you've got other things that are non-negotiable that you feel like every day I've got to do these things or every week. And so how am I going to possibly squeeze some more stuff into the midst of my already busy life? So rules, forget them. And I just want to invite you to consider that you also could easily be missing the point. Because the truth is, rules don't lead to oppression and squishing the freedom and the life, out, squishing and sucking the joy out of life, but instead lead us to freedom, to an opportunity and to joy if embraced well. We know this in a lot of, of areas of life, right? Just think about all of our sporting events. If we didn't have rules, there'd be no joy. It'd be chaos. You think about, you think about even science. And those who don't really love rules often don't really love science, but just make the point because they don't usually love science because science is so full of rules. Scientific research is rigid, right? Very methodical. Lots of rules do the same experiment over and over and over, changing one variable at a time. Very monotonous. Well, but we know, we know stories like Thomas Edison in 1878 and 1879, where he figured that with his team of 40 researchers, he could probably create a light bulb in three to four months. Well, over a year later, 1,200 experiments later, hundreds of different materials tried for the appropriate filament, they finally perfected the light bulb. Following the rules over time led to this incredible discovery, this incredible freedom that we benefit from every single day. 
And even Edison himself is credited with saying, right, that genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Right, that, that following the rule of science, scientific discovery exploded something beautiful and joy. And so I want to invite all of us to consider that putting a plan and an intention into your life around how you're going to love God well, how you're going to integrate the practices, integrate emotionality and spirituality into your practices is about experiencing the freedom of being loved by God experiencing his love and loving him in return more fully, more completely. See, and the rest of that passage in Deuteronomy 6 was kind of Israel's rule of life, right? It was their plan. Moses laid out a plan for how they could love God well. He said, here's the thing. These commands need to be on your hearts. In other words, it's not just about checking the boxes. Check your heart. What's your intention? And then he goes on to say, impress them on your children. Have a plan. Pass it on. Pass these commandments. Pass the goodness and the story of the character of God on. Talk about them. When you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So where is that? Everywhere. Right? But it's also embodied Right? It's when you're sitting, when you're standing, when you're walking, when you're lying down. Every moment is a possible opportunity to love God well. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And the, the people of God, the Jewish people over the years took that very literally. Where they would have boxes that they'd strap on their hands and the, even on their foreheads, literally called phylacteries and This was part of their expression of prayer and engagement and intentionality of loving God as completely as they can. Even this passage has what's called the Shema in it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is called the Shema. And faithful Jews for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years have been reciting that as a reminder to themselves every morning, every evening. As a a practice, a part of their plan, how do I stay grounded and connected and love God well? This is all about having a plan. And and the, the problem for them is that their rule didn't fully work. But they had this rule. But the problem was their heart was not fully in the rule. And and They couldn't fully keep the rule. They couldn't love God completely because the reality of their brokenness and their sin and their unfaithfulness, even though God had been faithful. And this is why ultimately Jesus had to come for them. And he wept over them. That's what we saw in this passage today, right? He rides into town like the triumphant king. And instead of assuming the throne in power and flexing and having this moment of delight and grandeur, he rides down the road and then he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. Oh, if only you knew where true peace would come from. Because the peace doesn't come from the rule. It comes from the rule giver. It comes from the one that is God. The one who can give life meaning The one who can give you ultimately security and hope and joy and peace. 
And so Jesus wept because their rule wouldn't work. And so your rule, just so you know, isn't going to work. Right? If that's the thing that you're trusting to bring you into that relationship with God, just know that your ability to perfectly keep your plan, if that's not what's going to do it. It's what Jesus has done for you. And maybe it helps you to think about, maybe it's not your rule for your life. Maybe it's Jesus's rule for your life. And his rule is gracious and gentle and kind and loving, and he's self-sacrificial for you. But as we think about this, what's your intention? Is your intention to just go back to the way things always have been? Was your intention to move forward, to step toward God, to love him fully, the best that you can, completely and totally? If that's your intention, set your intention, that's beautiful. But intention will only get you part of the way. What's your plan? What's one or two things that you could start doing? Don't start doing 25 because that's just going to get you so frustrated. What's one or two things that you can start doing to integrate your emotionality and your spirituality or your body and your spirituality, your finances and your spirituality, your time and your spirituality? How can you invite Jesus further in, deeper in so that you can love God more completely? What's your plan? And start with one or two things and see how it goes. And if it's not working and that it's not helping you know the love of God for you and to love him back, change it. Do something else. Because it's not about the rules. It's about being loved by God and loving him back. But we need a plan or else we will get out of balance like a bodybuilder because we'll do the things that are comfortable for us. We'll do the things that we like and we'll skip leg day. And we need a plan in order to stay focused through all of the distractions of life. Charles Paul Kahn tells a story in a book, Making It Happen, where he lived in Atlanta for a while, and he noticed this restaurant called Church of God Grill. And so he was like, that's kind of strange. And so he was curious, and he wanted to see what was up with that. So he called to check it out. And so when he called, he says that a man answered the phone, and he was really cheery. And he said, hello, Church of God Grill. And so Charles asked him, how did this restaurant, how was it given this unusual name? And the man told him, well, we had a little mission down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken, and we did such good business that eventually we cut back on the church service. After a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on serving chicken dinners. We kept the name we started with, and that's Church of God Grill. Right, they started with one intention, but their plans got derailed. They didn't stay focused because they didn't have a clear plan. Right, and we need a clear plan if we're going to remain unstuck, if we're going to keep the movement going forward that God has begun in these last weeks. We need a plan to stay focused, especially when things are going well. Because it's easy to just get lax and sit back and forget to continue to invite God into your whole being. We need a plan when things are hard and it seems dark because we can be crushed by the uncertainty and the grief and the darkness. We need a plan 
that reflects the loving rule of Jesus, our King. The King who weeps over us, who wants for us to have peace and wants to give us peace. We need a plan to love God completely with our whole self, totally with our whole devotion. What's your plan? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your plan was to pursue us from heaven to earth in your son, the king of kings, and that he would come and weep over, over our waywardness. He would weep that we would seek peace in other gods and other places and that he gave his life for us. Lord, help us to know that love, to experience that love. And Lord, our intention and desire is to love you back with our whole self, even though that feels scary. Our intention is to, to love you with our total devotion. 